Get off the fucking internet. My name is Matthew Kroll. And do I need someone to babysit you dorks? My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Blackberry. Blackberry. Are we recording this on a Blackberry device? We are. And it felt so weird. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> to say, what is up, internet? Hey, get off the fucking internet. Uh... Well, and again, for our listeners who might be too young, they don't maybe don't realize what dial-up was. Oh, boy. <laughs> you like, is that like... There, there are people who've never experienced dial-up internet. You've experienced dial-up internet, right? Yeah, Shahir, like, I'm. Aren't I older than? No, you're two years older than me. Yeah, yeah. But it, like, uh, did you have a twenty-five point six megabit? Uh, I had a thirty-three point three baud modem, and, and then, then I had a, a 56, 56. Yeah. Uh, and, and so yeah. for those those of you who would be too young to understand, is that you would dial up the internet through your main phone line, and if you picked it up, it would make this sort of. And it was slow as hell. You would not be able to listen to a podcast, I don't believe. Although I was downloading movies. Yeah, but like trickle, trickle, trickle. I was also downloading like a lot of episodes of Futurama that were like really shitty copies. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, The Simpsons. I mean, yeah, no, because there was MP3s. Winamp really whipped the llama's ass. Whipped the llama's ass. That's um, right. But <laughs> regardless. Well, okay. The big question of the day. This is the one that every podcast has had. Okay. Did you have a Blackberry? No. No? No. No? Blackberries. <laughs> I think this movie does a really good job at a lot of things. Uh, yeah. But BlackBerry as a device is something for um, business time. <laughs> yeah, like like business type people that really need it or douchebags. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Whoa! Coming uh, in hot. No, I mean, look, I don't know, I don't know, and I hope I didn't insult anyone who used to have a BlackBerry. <laughs> uh, but like, that's kind of. But let, let me put it this way. Right. By the time. I started paying attention to cell phones. Right. Blackberry seemed like the more douchey version of like the sidekick, which I know what sucked. What is the sidekick? The sidekick? Yeah. I think it was a Nokia Nokia sidekick. I got. And it was like now. a fl- was it like it flipped out and it had no, a keyboard. That was the Droid. The first Droid had the flip out keyboard. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> Nokia sidekick. There's so many mobile devices. Okay, okay. Well, let's make it easier. What was your first? It was. It was. It flipped. It, it went. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. flipped out, and then you could use it. I remember seeing that in the United States, but I didn't have one. Yeah. What was your first cell phone? Just quickly before we move on to oh, emails. Oh, gosh. Uh, some garbage flip phone. Okay. Oh, no. No, it wasn't even a flip phone. It was like one of the one of those candy bar ones, like the just a brick. Yeah, I had a Nokia brick. Yeah. 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 And it was great. It was great. I, I got text messages. I made phone calls. That one I, that one didn't have text. I only got text once I got on a flip phone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but this is, th- so this is something really interesting. Are we okay. are we soft millennials? What is our we're, – we're in a weird 10-year gap. Where people that are in their forties now, yeah, um, are kind of uh, we existed in both times, yes. pre-internet saturation and post-internet saturation. We are Gen Y slash millennials. Yeah, but there's like a weird, there's a weird. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to lean heavily on the Gen Y side. <laughs> uh, I don't think Gen Y is a thing. Gen <laughs> um, Gen Y is a thing because Gen X was a thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, but regardless, the. I, I, we fall in this weird little Venn diagram. Okay. And I think that's something that's very interesting. And and I don't know if in our lifetimes we're going to have another, like, moment in the way that humans communicate change as hard as in that span it did. So, so going from um, telephone calls, uh, well, probably just going from walkie-talkies to telephone calls to email 
to text messaging to social to, media to social media. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a big transformative change. Yeah, uh, which is fascinating to sort of look at, and because again, like some of my fondest memories were when the internet was special. Right, <laughs> uh, like you get home and you wanted to play Doom with your friends. But you needed your parents to get off the phone, and, and I only had so many minutes of internet on on America Online. Right. Uh, when they used to sell discs with minutes on it. <laughs> Holy shit! What is what has happened? Well, uh, there was a great book actually. I, I'm just re- uh, bringing it up right now called Parchment Printing and the Hypermedia by Ronald Debit, which I did read in college. I remember it being a great book, which which talked about the transformation of the printing press yeah. to the way we communicated. Uh, you know, moving from like individual parchments, which had to be written, to the printing press, which means mass communication yeah. start happening. And then uh, the idea in there is uh, hypermedia, which is basically not just uh, the internet and what have you, but the idea that um, you could click on a link and it would open up more information, mm-hmm, transform mm-hmm. the way in which we, yeah, yeah, we, we change our information, our information capacity. It's so funny. The printing press was the first real mass market way to get things out the door, like to the point where in wars, uh, they were like prizes to steal. Napoleon took uh, two or three from one of his campaigns, Arabic printing presses, right. for when he invaded... Uh, uh, Egypt, but he has to change the characters. Well, no, no, <laughs> he he uh, he he basically used that to try to make his own propaganda. Yeah. So so Napoleon was like, "Inshallah, brother, how he, you doing?" He, oh God, watch the series we did. It. It's weird the way he like because there's like uh, uh, the way he talked about like um, like revolutionary tactics and things. Right. Like it wasn't even a. It, it's not a blip. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> anyway, it's fascinating. We did a Napoleon in Egypt series on extra history. Please go watch that. I'm probably butchering some of the facts because those stuff goes one in one ear and out the other. But communication was something that stuck with me on that because even in, those, even in that time, he brought with him what was called the savants. And they were there to catalog and learn and help with sort of that end of uh, propagandic sort of things and like yada, yada, yada. It's why we have the way that they communicated and took notes and did that propaganda and all this stuff is kind of the way that why we currently today in the West have the view of ancient Egypt that we did both correct and incorrect. It's right. because these tools were there and found and taken and used. Okay. Uh, it's I don't know. It's crazy. And so when I think about something like the Blackberry, <laughs> yeah, uh, and the story that this movie tells, which I don't know how much of it is true. Uh, we'll get into that. Okay. Uh, I just I I. I I couldn't help but have a dumb shit-eating grin on my face the entire time watching this movie because, look, we've done a lot of these sort of, like, corporate the business, biopic. The business movie. The business the bi- business pick. What, what yeah. can we call this? The As business a, biopic? Yeah, it's boring. Yeah. We, uh, maybe we'll come up with something again. The BB pick. The BB pick. No, uh, no, no. Uh, the, the biz pick. The busy pick. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, can't continue. But, uh, like, so Air and even Tetris. Yeah. And then, of course, you got the social network, Moneyball, so, sure. and social Wolf of Wall Street. Social yeah. network kind of gets into this. Wolf of Wall Street, I won't say as much with what I'm sort of saying. This is about the way that, like, people changed how they s- communicated with one another. Like, right. Tetris was a game that changed the world of gaming. Uh, the Nike, the Air story was the mm-hmm. changed the way of, of basketball players being compensated mm-hmm. and the way that shoes are marketed. Yeah. Um, only the social network, I think, is that I've seen so far kind of falls into the same category of, like, the amount of change that well actually it's funny even social network i don't think if you look at the spans of the stories yeah didn't change the world as much as the story we watched in this movie true or false however it's presented changed the world 
The one I can think of is uh, Milos's form, Milos Forman's film, uh, The People versus Larry Flint. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, the transformative yeah. power of the magazine. Sure. Uh, and uh, I, I remember the line from that Woody Harrelson basically saying, Playboy magazine is mocking you. You know, something along the lines of like, this is real pornography versus what Playboy has been doing, which is like pretending. Yeah. Uh, and then it gets into like a, a really big First Amendment case that becomes a courtroom drama as well, which I think is great. Um, we should, because we are talking about email communications via internet connected devices, go through some emails that have been sent to us via internet connected devices. We should. I hope that someone <laughs> sent one at least from a Blackberry. We, <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, there was some from Blackberry. Do they still sell Blackberries? Uh, no. So the interesting thing is Blackberry has entirely stopped the manufacture of its hardware devices. They were still in um, circulation for many years, but they it says at the end of the movie, they basically amount to 0% of the hardware market. And they now, I believe, they purchased a couple of companies, I think one is called Onyx, that uh, their primary business is um, uh, information systems within vehicles, within cars. So um, cellular map tracking, uh, sure. self-driving cars, all that sort of stuff. Uh, is part of their business. They're they're a sort of behind the scenes kind of uh, operation. Now. I just looked up the last developed phone <laughs> from BlackBerry was the Key Two LE, uh, <laughs> and that was in August of 2020. But they never released it, and they shut down in 2022. <laughs> uh, all right. So these are people who emailed us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail dot com. Could you hit us with the first one? I sure can. This is from Stephen, and Stephen writes. Went to see The Flash. <laughs> there were four other people in the cinema. Holy shit. There was more reaction to the trailers than The Flash. Ooh, I wonder what trailers they were. I know. That's right. It's not that it's awful. To me, it's better than the rest of the Snyderverse films. It's just so inconsequential. The movie shows us the, sh the movie shows us the lesson Barry needs to learn slash overcome to uh, come to terms with. But his actions at the end of the movie show Barry has learned nothing and they play it for laughs. Well, what a thing the DC Extended Universe has become. I would say spoilers, but I think... That, I mean, that's I, not... There's no spoilers uh, in that. I don't know. <laughs> uh, thank you, Stephen. I, I, I'm not even looking forward to the train wreck. I know I'm going to have... Uh, Jamie's going to be away for a couple weeks, so mm. I, I imagine in the next couple weeks it's going to hit yeah. uh, uh, streaming. Oh, you think it'll come out that quickly? Yeah, it's okay. tanking. <laughs> There's no reason to keep this Yeah, <laughs> why is it there? Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure I'll watch well, they it. They could have released Batgirl at the same time. <laughs> That's... Okay, have you heard <laughs> the tragedy of Darth Plagueis? No, the... the <laughs> I... I guarantee you, Batgirl was a better film than The Flash. I, I have nothing to say on the matter. I will speak with no inside knowledge whatsoever, but based on the business decisions of Warner Brothers as of late, a, a thousand percent guarantee. Well, hang on, but just think of it this way, though. How bad would Batgirl have to be in order for them to go to look at both films and go, we're going to release that one and not this one? I think like, this like was, just, just put no, it no. in context. So Backer was a forty million dollar picture that right. they got. Basically, but, but, but I'm just saying, like that they that they scrapped for taxes. This was this was one hundred and fifty to two hundred million, not counting marketing. They can't do it with that one. They were cut. They were cutting down the machine for parts, and this one was too big. So they tried to double down and did Super Bowl ads and focused on Michael Keaton, and it wasn't enough because. <laughs> There's there's just a, a, an amount of dissonance, and I'm sorry I'm going off on a tangent now, but like, 
it's called the Flash. Right. None of the promos had much of the Flash at all. It was all Batman. Well, there and was I, a uh, a situation. That I understand the yeah. situation, but the situation is either you know take your movie, recast it, do something else, or double, triple down. And they chose none of them. Hmm. They chose this weird middle ground, which spoiler alert didn't make them their money back. Ah, uh, did it not? I I I would not after marketing. No fucking way. <laughs> Well, uh, let's just let's just see while I pull up the next email. Yeah. But apparently, the Flash opening total gross uh, worldwide is two hundred forty-seven million. It's the lowest. Sure. It's the slowest <laughs> it's one the of sl- these movies, which right. is hilarious. <laughs> uh, Jacob wrote us in uh, while he was watching past lives. So this email is quite a journey because it goes from watching the movie to listening to our podcast and referencing a question that we asked on our podcast about video games. Uh, and then maybe a little bit back to the movie. Jacob writes in, and so, and uh, by the way, I've abridged this just so that we don't we avoid any spoilers for past lives. Past lives uh, presents such a contemplative canvas to which uh, to restfully think about life. Gridley's performance of Nora was subtle and restrained and made the wisdom feel earned, even though we only have a glimpse of what she went through to earn it. But I still get this feeling that the movie was sitting on top of a huge tension deep within Nora. The tension between, one, the knowledge knowing that who you are now really is the thing worth engaging with, and two, the desire to let the mind skip across time and possibility. I think the ending is the explosion still fairly restrained of that tension. Gosh dang it, I think I may have to see this one again before it leaves theaters. Wishing you nothing but the best in your lives, uh, in the lives that you exist in now. Also, Jacob, I just finished listening to your Past Lives episode. (laughs) I paused in the middle to write this email and wanted to toss in a video game recommendation for Shahir and his wife. If you uh, go back and listen to that episode, we did talk about uh, video games that my wife and I played or tried to play. Um, And Jacob writes her story. Yeah. Uh, it's my go-to game to recommend to those who that aren't that kind of aren't into video games or haven't ever been impressed by them. It requires no mechanical prowess. If you type the words uh, or have someone who can type words with for you, you are good to go. It makes heavy use of full motion video and nonlinear storytelling. In my opinion, it is the best mechanical implementation of nonlinear story storytelling, and it's fun whether you try to play cooperatively, cooperatively or you just have one person controlling and one person watch. Happy gaming, so long as it's not Call of Duty. I'm going to tell you something right now, Shahir. What? It is on sale for the Steam Summer Sale at 90% off. It is 99 cents. I'm buying it right now. Can you gift it to me? I'll buy. I'll, <laughs> gi- I'll buy one for me, and I'll gift it to you. What's your Steam thing? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. Gonna, I'm not revealing that in, that oh! that personal information uh, online right now. But Jacob also wrote in wow. to say, "Okay, I unpause the end of the podcast one more time to hear Matt ask for opinions about It Takes Two, which is the game I referenced in that episode. Sorry, but I sorry, but I heavily disliked it. I found the writing pretty handed. I didn't much love the story, characters, and the gameplay. Ugh." I just think everywhere they could have made the mechanics a bit more nuanced and interesting, they chose to be incredibly dumbed down. I think they did this because they wanted to be accessible, but I think they played the trade-off really poorly. The way they tuned it, my friend and I essentially never bothered to be in sync because the game never asked us to. We kind of successfully floundered through everything with ease and never felt like we were partnering up. I, I, I'm not sure, Jacob, because I we played this game for a good yeah, hour or so. I know I played it for about five or six, and it, it did require it, it. requires you to play in sync. I could <laughs> see, I could see if you just wanted, and and Jacob, you could write us back if you want. <laughs> I could see if you just sort of like if you both mashed your thing. No, you still need to. I. I 
If I, you know what it would be? I think if both of you are really good gamers, like, you know, really experienced at this kind of game, maybe, so this game is easy, maybe then it wouldn't even, you wouldn't even feel like the it. The fun for me was figuring out what the game wanted me uh, me and Jamie to do and then, you know, trying to work together to do it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I dig that game. So <laughs> too bad. Jacob, I will say her story, I've heard nothing but great things. I've watched some uh, little bits of playthrough and it's, uh, you know. And it's 99 cents and, it's I, now, 99 cents. and I now own a copy. You do. Uh, well, once you tell me your, once you tell me your your sign in for steam big daddy on steam.com big big daddy s uh, big daddy sd big daddy sd yeah. do you have a steam ne- i do have a steam account well, what's, what is it uh, i think it's big punisher <laughs> yes. i think it is i'm not entirely sure oh my we are we steam friends okay come on let's let's move on Prashant uh, sure wrote us another email okay yes Prashant writes uh, <clears throat> hi man she here Hope you're doing well, including Zoe. Hey, Zoe, thanks you. First of all, thanks a ton for reading my last email about all the beauty and the bloodshed on the show. It was amazing to see you both instantly get into discussing the film in that brief moment, which made my initial email so worth it. I just finished your Across the Spider-Verse episode, and it was so much fun. By the way, I hope you found out that Beyond the Spider-Verse is releasing in 2024. I did. Honestly, I loved Across. It was also something I didn't have high expectations about, but was blown away nonetheless. I also didn't know this was a part one of two, as I hadn't with Dune either. To me, this felt more like The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions, which by no means is an original point. But I bring up those two movies not because of structural reasons, but but also because I read some thematic resonances between Spider-Verse and The Matrix trilogies. The first film serves as a hero's journey, but the other two parts subvert that narrative and actually provide some more nuance, especially around the other characters machines i added that i'm sorry (laughs) Uh, i felt that across was really spider gwen's story i think it was gwen who had a complete character arc by the end of the film and i think that miles's central tension that trauma isn't essential for being a spider person was a compelling conflict for gwen curious to know what you both think about this reading and look forward to your next episode i think it's actually a really great read and i would actually love to watch the film now thinking about it being a spider gwen movie instead i i I think the problem is in this kind of situation is that Gwyn doesn't get involved in the major reveal of the at the finale of the film. So, so I, gonna, I, I don't want to. I just don't want to give any too many spoilers. Sure, sure, sure. This is what them. I'll say. I really like this read. Yeah. Um, and I do see the similarities between the second and third Matrix films. I think what I actually, weirdly enough, because it's like I get the I get the tie. Yeah, and I still think that it it's a it's a subversion and a way it, that shifts the story that does leave it leave both of these franchises cold for me a little bit because it shifts away from what the movie has taught you is kind of not important but is essential. Be, yeah, yeah. And 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 it's funny. I go back to the world of video games and subversion, and when it's so much fun to be subverted. Uh, you know, spoilers for Bioshock, but like when you find out that Andrew Ryan is in control of you, yeah. would you kindly that sort of yeah. thing? That's a beautiful subversion. But then there's other types of subversion, which I think both uh, Matrix uh, two and three and Across the Spider Verse kind of does, uh, which I would put more akin in my eyes to Metal Gear Solid two. Okay. Okay. So Metal Gear Solid, you play a solid snake. Okay. Uh, it was a Snake Plissken ripoff, uh, voiced by David Hayter, loved, uh, yep. beloved voice actor, great character. Director is solid. Uh, uh, I believe he has directed some things. Yeah. Um. So, but then when two released, there was a demo disc, and you play a snake and infiltrating a tanker, and that's how the game starts. It's the first like hour of the game. Yeah. And then. The rest of the game, you play as some fucking unknown dude (laughs) named Raiden, this long blonde hair guy who's also a special forces person. Okay. 
And the entire time, and you eventually meet someone named Iroquois Pliskin, okay, uh, which is really solid Snake. Yeah. Uh, but like, you don't get to play as Snake again. Yeah. And everyone was fucking pissed. Now, is the story of Metal Gear Solid 2 interesting? Yeah, I think it is. Does it have bigger connotations for the entirety of that franchise? That it, very interesting, cool things. Absolutely. No one gave a shit at the time because you weren't playing a solid snake. Okay. And I think that there's something when you when you divert away, and not to say that the other characters in either Spider-Verse or The Matrix are not interesting. Mm-hmm. It's that the movie has primed you to go a certain direction. Mm-hmm. And even if the direction it takes you is a more interesting one or a better one, I feel like there's some sort of like your expectations going into a sequel, at least for me, I'm not going to speak for anyone else, kind of poisons the well no matter how delicious that water is. I, I, I agree with you. I think the thing is, is that I didn't, you know, to Prashant's email, I didn't feel that it was a Spider-Gwen movie as I was watching it. But I would have liked to. <laughs> but but I would like to rewatch it now in, with yeah. that prism in mind and think about it just from that point of view and see if it, see if it actually plays better for me in that, in that way. It, maybe it will. Yeah. Um, finally, uh, we got into an email. Uh, we got an email last week from Muhammad uh, who mentioned that... Uh, the Ben Affleck film Air maybe did not resonate for him because Michael Jordan wasn't a key figure for him. I wanted to point out that I was supposed to talk about this, but we ended up getting a conversation about my hair, that uh, I also grew up in New Zealand, which is a cricket-loving country, and uh, Muhammad mentioned that he grew up in Pakistan, uh, and I wanted to mention that that for us, Wazim Akram and Imran Khan were idols, and I remember uh, in New Zealand, uh, I actually went to the game where Richard Hadley, Sir Richard Hadley, uh, bowled the four, his 400th wicket. And at the end of it, I got him to sign an autograph, and he touched me on the shoulder, and I never washed my shoulder for a week. Uh, is that what that smell is? Yeah, that's what that smell is. Oh, so, wow. You know, but, so my point being, I understand uh, the reverence that one might have for cricket, and cricket is a bigger sport in the global sense than basketball probably is in America. Um, Imran Khan is obviously now the prime minister of Pakistan, and there is a, a military coup going on as well. So uh, the legacy of someone like Imran Khan is can be read and probably is to people who are not from America as a bigger cultural legacy than Michael Jordan. So it's interesting yeah. to think about it that way. Yeah. Uh, appreciate that email, Muhammad. Sorry, I got to it late. I just, I, it was on my mind all week because I was like, when I read your email, I wanted to talk about that. Uh, but, uh, but ended up talking about my hair. Um, so as is tradition, <laughs> as is tradition, but we are here to talk about Matt Johnson's film, Blackberry, a movie I'm very excited to talk about. Could you tell us what Blackberry is about? I sure can, Shahir. Blackberry is the story of the meteoric rise and catastrophic demise of the world's first smartphone. Look that, at that. It had some fun rhymes in there. Yeah, technically also not the world's first smartphone. It wasn't. I, I'm not exactly sure. I do love the line that um, um, Jay Baruchel has in here, which is that uh, I think the guy from Verizon or AT&T says something like it's, the, it's certainly the world's biggest calculator. And he says, no, it's the world's smallest email machine. Yeah. And that is that is kind of a brilliant moment. So we've already gone over the fact that neither of us had Blackberries. We both True. had Nokias. We're also very old. Um, Matt, what did you think of this movie? I thought it was fun as hell. <laughs> uh, I actually just watched it a few hours ago. My week's oh, been wow, crazy, wow. Uh, okay. crazy slammed, and I could just do it right before we recorded this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, wh- this was my first question. Okay. Where did this release? Where, like, is was it in theaters? Very, very briefly, and then it left theaters very, very quickly. It's okay. a five million dollar Canadian funded film, uh, although just, uh, starring Glenn Howerton, who I guess you know the, the biggest name here is Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howerton. Jay Baruchel, of course, voices uh, How to Train Your Dragon. Yep. Uh, had his own show. She's out of my league. Uh, Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and directed by Matt Johnson, who also plays Doug. 
um, or oh, who is the character? Doug Pir uh, Pir there. Pir <laughs> Doug Friggin. Yeah. Um, in the in the movie as well uh, is the director. Um, he's famous for directing sort of uh, documentary uh, mockumentaries, uh, Operation Avalanche, and there was a, another film about a uh, school shooting that he directed as well. Oh wow. Um, so oh the dirties. Um, so not uh, I guess. Yeah, you're asking the question, was this in theaters? Because Air seemed to get a kind of decent run in theaters and was most noticeably uh, launched to Amazon Prime. This is still on paid streaming, but has been reviewed very highly, but not yeah. as well seen. Um, and I, I, you know, I have to say, in the sort of era of made-for-film business movies, if we took the, if we took those three just as a small sample set, I haven't seen Tetris, but between Tetris, Air. And Blackberry, which one did you feel was most compelling, regardless of what you're feeling about the product was? Oh, wow. Um, Blackberry was the most compelling. Mm -hmm. Tetris was the most emotionally resonant. Okay. Um, and Air was <laughs> a lot of... Lot I, of I, I liked watching Air. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I think that's about right. Like, I, I will say this. For as much as I think I'm going to heap praise on um, BlackBerry, mm -hmm. I don't think I gave a shit about anyone. Wow. Um, I really didn't. Like, I saw the emotional beats happen. I, yeah. I, I did whatever. But, like, I, and, and it's not that anyone – that's actually weird now that I'm saying it. I, 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 I get – no one did a poor job – with their acting or the way that it was made or directed or filmed or anything. I, I just, I didn't find any connection to characters. I found it, it felt like a, a like a, you know, a, a souped up for fun history lesson. Okay. Um, wow. And I didn't, I didn't care about Mike or, or Jim or Doug. Huh. Um, That's interesting. I don't know why I, I now I, I didn't even clock it, but like, if you go back to like Tetris, um, I did care about those characters. Like, okay. I cared whether or not they got out of Russia or if um, the main guy uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now uh, was able to get the right... Like, the, the way the rights were moving all around, Yeah, like, I actually was, like, a little bit edge of my seat. Like, oh, my gosh, I hope it works. Right. Like, and this never was that. Oh, okay. I was absolutely riveted by this. Uh, I found it really compelling to watch. I think Glenn Howerton, uh, you know, he's playing like a... A dialed up version of, you know, like dialed to twelve version of Dennis. Yeah, uh, but it is it is subtly different. But but it's also, uh, you know, they 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 say in the film that he's a shark and who's afraid of shark pirates. Pirates. Um, Great he, quotes in this movie. Oh my god, so well written. Matt Johnson again, really, you yeah. know, nails this one. Um, I think what's incredible is Howerton's performance as Jim Balsley. Balsley um, is both terrifying and hilarious but you can tell it's hilarious to everyone who's not on camera like like right. like it's it's hilarious for the audience to watch it's terrifying for anybody who's in the room with him because he's so powerful uh, but he's such an asshole but also at the same time what i was incredible was like what i thought was incredible writing at the very beginning of this movie was that we did get a sense that this guy knew what he was doing like he was incredibly savvy yeah. about what was even in the case where he got fired. Yep. 
for um, basically he disobeyed his boss, even though he might have landed the sale or whatever. Yeah, he he uh, his boss tells him that they need to explain a tax deal in order to land this client, and they and the boss wants one of their uh, accounting people to do it. To which Balsley, um, you know, says he's like he's a real. Uh, what is he? What is his word for? He's like a, a dork, not a dork, but a. I don't remember. A, he insults him. A goof, a goof. He calls him a goof. And then, like, what's amazing is in the meeting that he's getting the BlackBerry information, is he quickly reads over the tax details and then immediately goes into the next room and explains it in detail by ta- and taking away the sort of power of that person to t- tell the story. And he gets fired for it. But I was kind of like amazed by, like, oh, he got it right away. Like, it wasn't like. You know, he didn't understand what was going on. It was the same yeah. thing with the with the BlackBerry itself. It was like he got that this was kind of a big deal. He didn't give a shit, but he understood the mechanics of what it was. And and what I loved about the movie is that it really put into perspective, you know, if you watch a movie like The Social Network, it is all about the engineering. It's all yeah. about it's all about the 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 skill with which it takes to develop something like Facebook. What this movie is kind of demonstrating is that BlackBerry wouldn't be BlackBerry if it wasn't for the sales team. If it wasn't for sales yes, a thousand and, percent. And, and, and administration and operations, BlackBerry wouldn't have got to where it gets to. And in fact, its downfall might be that Mike Lazarus, uh, Lazarid, Lazaridus, um, okay. the, the Jay Baruchel character, didn't have enough foresight in an engineering from an engineering point of view to recognize the importance of what was coming with the iPhone. Like in the show, yeah. in, in the movie, he basically, you know, brushes off the iPhone. He's like, why would anyone want to, any uh, um, uh, uh, and a, a keyboard that is built into your screen as opposed to a tactile keyboard? Right. Not recognizing that that is the wave of the future. And that is, you know, ostensibly his history has taught us that now that we are living in a world which does not want tactile keyboards on, a, on an iPhone, uh, on a phone. Um, it's... I think Johnson does a really interesting thing here, which is that his character, um, Doug Fregan, is so divorced from reality, uh, of the reality of the situation, that um, you start to call into question, like, is this how this happened? Is this how this played out? Yeah. And I think I, I've watched some interviews where, you know, uh, the real Jim Balsillie, uh sat down and watched the movie and, is, and, and said, look... Uh, I think I wasn't as bad as this movie is saying I am. You know, like, uh, people have said he, he, he may have had a, you know, like a, a sort of charming personality as well. But he was also like, yeah, the broad strokes of this movie are kind of correct. The details are probably wrong. Um, but I think there's, it really gets into this interesting teaching because I think I've always, I've always had this thing, which is that if the movie's broad strokes work towards the overall thesis of the film then I think I'm okay with that, even if those broad strokes are incorrect. Yeah, I mean, I think when you're dealing with biopics, especially, uh, maybe even especially corporate ones, Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. Like, I... Where it it falls apart is is when, if the reality of the situation is in direct contradiction to the thesis of the movie. So, right, so Which like I don't you, think this is. I don't think this is either. I think the broad strokes that the characters uh, took uh, were probably true enough, with the exception, as you were saying before we even started. Yeah, uh, with Doug Freegan uh, is not was not like a teenage mutant ninja turtles wearing headband guy. He was a serious looking engineer who was one of the key engineers of the company who looked just like everybody Which else. Which that kind of blows <laughs> me away that that's the change. That's the take, and that's the director playing that take. But what do we mean, like take? Well. 
they decided to like make him influenced by movie night and you know like you know referencing you know uh is a, is a made he feels more like a uh, uh a representation of the director uh sort of maybe with a little bit of who that character's role was but more about the director than it was about the actual person maybe so this is what i was thinking so like again uh you know getting into light spoilers here but i think this is a spoiler for literally any uh biopic sort of story uh with two founders of a company there's the you changed man kind of guy yeah. uh and <laughs> that's changed, who, that's man. who doug is at this point yeah. uh and midway through you kind of see the rift happen when um, when Mike cancels movie night, which is a longstanding tradition, and uh, they ask the question, why do you think these guys work here? And Mike says, because they want to work on the world's best smartphone. And he's like, yeah, that's it. Uh, it's like, no, because they put in the work, they put in the 80 hours because it's a fun place to be. That's, right. what, that's what the Doug character is positing. And I wonder if that element was true even though he wasn't this like you know child of a man kind of thing yeah, yeah. um and like it and that's sort of where we're talking about intent versus um versus like reality yeah if he was the guy that was like hey man we gotta be lax with these dudes because like we need them and they're part of the you know the, the reason they're here is because it's a fun place to work if that was real, I don't mind the change to making him make Ninja Turtles references and 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 and, and wanting to get uh uh fucking uh, why am I blanking on the name like getting like what uh Carmack John Carmack he wanted to get from Doom right uh yeah, that's to, like to get in there right so like you know I'm not I'm fine with that if that's if if the if he was the guy that was trying to keep the corporate culture alive and keep it happy then i'm cool with this sort of like caricature but if he wasn't this is just like stuff to add more needless drama cuz it didn't feel like that was the point of the film well in historyvershollywood.com uh they they point out that uh Doug Freeman did not wear uh Doug Freegan sorry did not wear headbands uh, as elaborated in the next uh, question, uh, reveals that Matt Johnson's character in the movie bears no resemblance to the Doug, the real Doug Freegan, who never wore tank tops and headbands at the office. Uh, and uh, the question was asked, does Blackberry portray Doug Freegan accurately? No. Director and co-star Matt Johnson, who portrays Doug Freegan in the film, said that he's a true cipher, pointing out that Freegan never sat down for a recorded interview. Instead, on drawing from what little he knew about the real Freegan, Johnson said portrayed Freegan as a kind of mascot figure who's tying the culture of the office together. Johnson claims that the portrayal of Freegan is partially based on Matthias Wandel, another of R.E.M.'s early employees. Uh, Wandel worked at the company from 1993 to 2007. Johnson has discussed, uh, had discussed R.E.M.'s history with Wandel, who even offered diaries that he kept as they developed the BlackBerry smartphone. Um, so he is, it, it's a, it, I think he basically said, well, I don't really know what this person is like, so I'm going to grab uh, this other person who I did actually talk to, even though it's very much, you know, and, and the thing here is, that I would say is that Matt Johnson's portrayal really injects a chaotic element into the engineering side of this because there's essentially two two sides to this coin, the engineering and the sales team. And on the sales team, you've got this force of nature, Glenn Howard, and you yeah. know, like kind of really destroying one side of the room. And then on the other side, Matt Johnson's portrayal as Doug as Doug kind of like balances it out slightly. And I think it's a look, again, it's that question of what is the accepted reality versus what is the true reality? And I think for me, the accepted reality of the movie works. 
and and I like it. And but more importantly, because I think the central thesis of the film is the is essentially the 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 successful fusion of sales and marketing and engineering together creates what BlackBerry rises to to and you know at, at the height of its heyday. Sure. Um, and the failure of BlackBerry, those two. Those two elements not being able to work in unison from from that point on, yeah, as well as being uh, completely uh, side swiped by the behemoth that was the iPhone, a, yeah. a, a, a device that we all still use to this day. It's funny to think about these things like in that context, though, because you know, like if we think about the Apple computer, what was the predecessor to the Apple computer that you know the the Windows laptop or something or you know, something along those lines that that really owned the marketplace until something came along that really transformed the way we think about it. Sure. Uh, um, Betamax the, versus VHS. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Actually, a um, uh, friend of the show, uh, Alex Lowspec Gamer, mm -hmm. uh, does so many great deep dives into the corporate structure of, like, gaming and computer companies. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting, and we see it here in BlackBerry, where companies, like, are working uh, towards a vision and a goal and building things and like they're on their like fifth or sixth product and then something comes out like the iPhone that just is like oh shit we didn't realize that this was the 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 wave of the future yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you never think about it when these technological leaps happen that there are full teams and companies and people's livelihoods that are like that are built off of Betamax, like and also entrenched in one way of thinking that it's hard to imagine. You know, like the yeah. BlackBerry, its its physical keyboard was its selling point. So to suggest otherwise yep. was contradictory to its entire existence. And I've watched that. I've yeah. watched that Apple presentation a yeah. couple times. Yeah, because it's, it's like a masterclass. Yeah, uh, and I never clocked before, or I, I've clocked it. I've, I've witnessed it, but yeah. I never really caught on to the fact that like when he's showing the other phones yeah all those phones have companies and people like tied to them watching this thing and being like oh fuck <laughs> and you never think like in the moment you don't think about that because we're consumers we're not we're not builders yeah. in that sense as well it's you know uh if someone came up with a gaming show to, uh, with a a video gaming YouTube show tomorrow that changed the paradigm of video game YouTube shows you would suddenly be affected by that you would feel it Right? I mean, I'll be completely honest. I'll even say that the paradigm of 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 great uh, game design discussion content already has shifted. Right. I think it's shifted away from a, a little of the style that we do uh, at Extra Credits. We're trying to we're trying to maneuver around it. Mm -hmm. We're trying to do new stuff now. Mm -hmm. We just actually released. Uh, uh, by the time this is out, that'll already be out. Our, our twenty-two and a half minute long deep dive of the legal history of Dungeons and Dragons. There you go. It is quadruple the length. It has these cool narrative moments in it. Like we're trying to do a couple other things. We're also trying to do our talk shows and stuff. So like, um, because there are there are I don't know. It's just paradigm shift, and you do have to kind of move with them, right? Um, and in this film, it's pretty clear Mike doesn't want to. Uh, you know, again, uh, doing some reading in real life, apparently he was more aware of the wave that was coming. And again, I think no, but I, I think it would be naive to presume that Apple entering the cell phone market was not perceived as a major threat, like from anyone. Like, I don't think anyone saw it as like a hunk of junk. And, and, and the one thing to consider here is if Apple made any kind of technical misstep, if in any way that original iPhone didn't have that sort of magic that we mm -hmm. all associate with an iPhone, 
BlackBerry could have certainly won that argument. You know, they could have certainly won that idea that a phone should only do these things. If there was any fault, if they if they just somehow screwed it up in some way, like the first 2,000 phones just like blew up or something like that, or you couldn't send an email or, you know, but, but Apple is of course not that company and sends these things really well. So it'd be interesting to see how the vision pro goes. And, and, you know, like th there's all these questions right now about Apple entering the TV market or Apple entering the car market. Um, and, you know, like I can imagine if you are a car manufacturer or a TV manufacturer, the thought of one of the world's biggest companies entering that marketplace, one of the one of the companies that is most profoundly affected product manufacturing in in, in every way, if they entered the marketplace that you are exist in, that would be something to be to be concerned about. I don't consider myself an mm -hmm. Apple fanboy. Okay. Uh, however, mm -hmm. I can't think of another company mm -hmm. that has delivered more great products that I use and not fucked up so bad a couple times yeah. than Apple. Like there's, and, and look, you can't win forever. There's going to be a thing like yeah. eventually it won't be the king of the mountain, but like you, you bring up televisions and cars. Mm -hmm. And at first my gut reaction, I'm sure I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And then I'm yeah. like, Wait, no, like I'd buy an Apple television. Like yeah. I would I would buy an Apple television. Like it would have to do something really I, stupid to not buy it, but yeah. I can't think. And I, this is talking to someone I am not excited for the Vision, Vision Pro. Pro. Yeah. Um I don't think this I think it could be a stepping stone to something more uh, the way we use AR, et cetera. I'm a big mm -hmm. proponent of AR, but yeah. I also don't think that AR is going to catch on until it can be worn like a pair of actual glasses and not like a big dumb thing on your face. Right. Uh, I, I go back all the time to, to talking to people, uh, especially in the gaming industry, about how like at the point when you have to wear something, mm -hmm. it becomes more about fashion than functionality. This thing could... Uh, do your taxes <laughs> and let you play uh, Call of the Mountain at the same time. But if it looks stupid and you're supposed to be wearing it in public, people aren't going to do it. The iPhone caught on because it's a cool looking thing you can put in your pocket. <laughs> like, I look, you know what I mean? But my point, my yeah, point is, yeah. with the Vision Pro, and we don't have to get too much into it, um, I, I'm looking forward to the future of AR in that regard. I think this is a seed. I don't think this is their iPhone moment. I don't think this is going to dethrone other VR headsets or anything like like the iPhone dethroned BlackBerry, uh, because the the want and the and the use case is different. I agree with you completely. Yeah. I was also a naysayer on the iPad, but I own three of them now. I was also a naysayer on the AirPods, and I, and we have like two pairs in our house. I was never a naysayer in either of those things. Uh, the iPad I always saw use for as, um, I don't know, like uh, honestly as a travel movie device, right? Uh, and now as the way I read. Yeah. But you get you get my point, yeah. which is that I was a naysayer on a lot of things at Apple, but the, but sure enough. They become central to to the ecosystem with which I live in because probably because they sell the ecosystem. I and am a begrudging <laughs> Apple fan, that, right. and I wouldn't say I'm a fan because I look at things that Apple does critically, but mm -hmm. they have yet to actually let me down on any product that I've purchased from them. And I can't say that about literally any other company. So what do you think in the case of BlackBerry, or at least in the case of the thesis of this movie, um, was the defining flaw that, that saw the BlackBerry? Because... Another thing, another thing to think about this movie, uh, in in comparison to Air, is that this is really a, a rise and fall story. 
And it is not, in that respect, it doesn't feel like corporate propaganda in the same way that, that air, air does. That air feels like as well. Because inherently, it's a story about a failed device or a mm -hmm. device that didn't get off the ground in the same way that that the the Jordans did. Well, no, no. Here's the thing: I think it did get off the ground in the exact same way the Jordans did, but then it failed. Like this is, you're right to call it a rise and then fall. There, there's, I mean, there could be a literal different movie that just talks about the rise and then has text about the fall. Like, you could propagandize this film quite But it doesn't a, feel that but way. But this doesn't do that. No, right. not at all. I, I I like this, but you know what I also kind of like this? It's not like, and then basketball was changed forever, and then, like, there's, like, more story. Like, not that there's... Just, like, it feels like the story goes on. Here, it feels like the story's done. Yeah. <laughs> um, very definitively by the end. Yeah. Um... And it's so funny. I, again, I I feel bad saying that I didn't emotionally connect with any of the characters. I I really didn't. Mm -hmm. But I enjoyed watching all of their faults. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Doug was a man child. Mike had no confidence and was kind of blinded in in the way it's presented here by like a specific vision that worked for him for a long time and then didn't. Um, and then of course, um, Jim. <laughs> Jim's story is so terrifyingly cool <laughs> because this is a man that does pure bullshit and wills things into existence and just fucking pushes until something happens like the literal definition of faking it until you make it continually i think he's a, he's, he's he's a man of action right like as soon he's as he a man as soon of as he making people do actions as uh, soon as he arrives at riam he immediately takes action he immediately um Finances more money into the company. He immediately gets uh, uh -huh. you know, a meeting with AT and T or Verizon or one of the companies in order to sell the phone because he immediately sees that they are in an arms race for the phone right away. But then when he meets uh, the guy uh, from Palm Pilot, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I love this as well because he immediately understands what's happening. Yeah, and he take he does actions. He gets them forward. He gets them through. But he asks him if he's a hockey fan, and he says no, and he lies and says me neither, and the entire time you know he's a hockey fan. And then the entirety, and this probably isn't how it actually happened, of course, in real life, but the, the reason why Mike and Jim don't connect near the end is because Mike is, like, trying to side hustle on the side and buy out a hockey team, buy out the Penguins, mm -hmm. and move them to Canada. Just to, and I don't think just to, but in addition to spite the Palm Pilot guy <laughs> in a weird like sideway that the Palm Pilot guy probably doesn't give a shit about. I I, I wonder if it's also uniquely Canadian as well. Like I that's a uni no uniquely Canadian, Canadian thing. Anyway, it was so fucking funny and like humanizing to see like, of course, a man like that is driven by uh, want and spite. Well... I mean, I think the other thing to think about is that they, at the height of their success, they were a sixty or eighty billion dollar company. Yeah. So the amount of money that these people are talking about and living in changes perspective entirely. I'm listening to um, Spellcaster right now, the podcast about uh, Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, you know, the um, the guy FTX. Yep. Um, and you sort of, it's an amazing story because again, this guy's like twenty five years old or something like that. Maybe no, he's thirty one years old now. Um, you know, goes from his dorm room to suddenly owning a stadium that has the naming rights for FTX on it, and so I'm I'm just saying that that Jim Jim buying a hockey team 
you know, in the scale of the money that we're talking about yeah. is a different equation than what we might be thinking about, you know, entirely. No, but it's still driven by want and spite. Like, no matter, the numbers, the numbers are the numbers. Like, and in their world, they can do that. That's cool. I mean, when he says, you know, I think the most amazing line in the movie, I'm from Waterloo where the fucking vampires roam. Um, but I didn't he says, get that. I, I don't understand the reference, but I, I was like... I don't care what the this is delivered so fucking well. He must have actually said that at some point because otherwise, why is that quote here? I I don't understand the reference. If any of our listeners are from Canada um, and know what that what that is referring to, please write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail and fill us in because I would love to know what the reference refers to. Um, but at the same time, when he says, "I will buy the entire fucking NH, um, you know, National Hockey League," I like I kind of believe him. Of course, it didn't pan out that way. And and then the interesting thing is I think the story leans on this fact that they uh, backdated share options for <laughs> for um, for their engineers. And I love uh, – I actually, the actor, the second guy who's paid $10 million, he's a voice actor. Rosie D, baby. So he's a, I he's, saw he's him a game voice actor, my, right? And he, he's done all sorts of voice acting. Yeah. He's incredibly talented. Mm. Shout out to Pro ZD. Yeah. Um, I, I with the second I saw him, yeah. I was thrilled. I love seeing him do on camera work. Uh, yeah. That was so nice. To but see. I, I love that line between him and the Madman guy. Um, you know, like how much are they paying you to be here? Uh, yeah, ten million. And it's like, well, he says I shouldn't discuss it. Yeah. And he goes, "You paid me ten million. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's an absurd amount of money. But I think again, it just it gets into this idea that the, you know. When you're dealing with that much money and that much that that much entrenchment in what you do, I agree that it would be difficult. Like you would see the iPhone and go, "What the fuck? We've been doing this successfully for the last ten years. We've made the most successful device. Who are these guys? You know, like what do they know about this business? I, you know, and Mike actually says, "I built the, you know, the I built the devices that changed this industry. Yeah, you know, and I and I get it." Um, and the only at the end, the only thing he can lean on is this idea that he has that manufacturing with the utmost adherence to quality is what will save him. And unfortunately, it's not the case. Um, yeah, which is really sad because you know, like when he says, um, you know, there's that um, um, there's some I, I can't remember the exact fable as it's told, but like the reason why bridges are are a certain length. Has to do with the the original design of horse and car- horse. Yeah, and that carry- checks out. Yeah, horse and buggies, that kind of thing. Um, you know, like he basically makes this argument: is the reason why we have white noise and blinking lights on our phones is because these devices were manufactured by people in countries that do not care about our sustainable about our lifestyle, and that is why we have these kind of deficiencies. And for him, good is the enemy of you know, like of humanity. Good enough is the enemy, of, enemy humanity. Of, of humanity because. In his eyes, if you adhere to the principle of delivering something that is so uniquely tailored to the individual that that's enough to make you win out, you know, like that's all he can hold on to. And, and at the end of the movie, he is unboxing every iPhone, uh, every uh, BlackBerry and listening for the, you know, the sound of white noise. Um, it's a really great character arc for that character. I think, I think it's played beautifully. It's written beautifully. It carries through the entire film because that's the first thing we saw him do as well. You know, like he's about to go into this meeting and he can't continue because he hears this white noise. Yeah. Uh, it's so good. And I I, I, I think, you know, look, I don't want to get into this sort of comparison game between this and air. But this Why not? To me, but this to me was, 
is what Air was missing. Was sort of a clear, char- clearly defined character arc, and I th- and yeah. dyna- and 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 the story was dynamic. You know, like I felt compelled by everything that was going on. I actually cared about Matt Damon's character, though. I don't disagree with you. Mm-hmm. Like, I I actually agree with you completely. I don't know what the fucking missing <laughs> link is, and maybe it is. Maybe it's easier to latch on to the characters emotionally in air because there's a victory at the end. That doesn't make sense. You know, I don't know. You know what? I, I've been having an existential crisis, and this is going to lead us down a slightly different rabbit hole. Um, but well, Before you do, yeah, okay. hold that real quick. I did find out where the line, uh, the, you know, oh, the I'm vampires? going back to Waterloo where the vampires hang out. Okay. So there's is there's it an Anne Rice reference. No, so so Waterloo is not known for vampires. However, okay. there was a viral um, video about ten years ago. There was a Canadian street interviewer that became a viral video to do to deeply weird sentiments of the subject. The man there was it was entitled "Man Goes Crazy and Rips Off Shirt During Interview," where he uh, this dude screamed, "I'm going back to Waterloo where the vampires hang out." Oh really? Um, now apparently uh, is uh, there's other gems in the video that include uh, "I'm a nobody and you can't kill." A person with no body, like, <laughs> and and to be fair, people believe that this is is a man, uh, you know, who had some form of mental illness, and there was, okay. you know, and you should whatever. Though- but so this became deeply ingrained in sort of Waterloo's culture, right? And so the 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 leading uh, idea is. That um, Matt Johnson, who wanted to do like an homage to, to Canada, Canada. Well, that was like Canadian. a weird. Well, he's Canadian. Yeah, and it, you know, it's that's movie. why he yeah. wanted to do that. So that's why he had uh, Jim scream that line. It's interesting then because I think this also kind of gets into this overall uh, thing about this movie, which is that you know his character of Doug, you know, the timelines for like when Doug would be interested in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles doesn't line up with this movie. It's like ten years later, and the timeline of uh, what you just said. Would be ten years ago today or yeah, now? Be way too late. late for 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 <laughs> Jim to have said that with to make any sense. Right, of that. right, right. So for anyone to understand it. And what I like about that, though, it's a really weird thing, is I like that what's happened here is that there is this like strange fusion of the people who made the film and the characters in the film. So there's no way that Jim would say that line, but there is every way that Glenn Howarden would have seen that clip. And pl- and and or Matt Johnson would have seen that clip and made that the line that Jim says when he gets told he can't buy the NHL. Yeah, yeah. you know, like when he, I like that there's that like weird sort of pseudo reality fiction bending yeah, that's going on. You know, like I think I think it's re- you know, and again when when they have a project <laughs> like for me. Uh, this is another dumb thing, but I didn't want to call it out except for the fact that I noticed it. Right. Is the projector that they had in that uh, workroom in 2003 was no way w- that projector existed. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Well, maybe it did. I, I thought that too. Yeah. Maybe it did for like crazy amounts of money. May, but not that small. No. You know, like that was like a modern day mini projector. Yeah. And it, and it, but what I liked, what I didn't care about was that the movie seems to be playing so fast and loose you know, like it's shot with this sort of documentary long lens kind of style where, again, I'm just wrapped up in the whole thing. I like it's not important to call out that kind of thing. I just I and and I just noticed that. And I like the fact it's odd to say I like the fact that Matt Johnson's interpretation of, of Doug is so wildly off base. Yeah, I do, too. You know, like it's so much fun um, and it's needed in the film. I would just want to say again. My revelation while recording this podcast 
of me not really emotionally connecting with any of them is actually bothering me because I really liked this movie. I think you would love it. Like, I'm going to, without knowing your day, I know that you just watched it a few hours ago and you watched it under the pretense, I got to watch this in order to... Maybe. In order to have this conversation an hour or so. Maybe. Like, I watched this on a Saturday night. I've been meaning to watch this movie for the last two months now. This is something I'd watch with Jamie. uh, Although, it's funny, I've... I I think she would she would enjoy it. Um, I I think I yeah I think I just got no I don't know I don't know because I think the gaming side of it would be fun to watch as well. You know, like the fact that Doug is like calling out Doom in the middle of the movie. I like I like that when when Mike and Jim are talking about it after Doug leaves. He's like. Can you what, hear me? He goes, what is Doom? And he goes, well, have you played Wolfenstein? And Jim just, <laughs> just walks away. <laughs> it's all great. This movie is great. Right. I, I do not care about any character. I, I Oh, that's I, so weird. I think I think you maybe need to give it another shot. But, but you know, what... what and I, and, no, here's the thing. It's, it's funny, because normally when you're like, oh, I think you need to... Not you, just in yeah, general. When yeah. someone's like, you need to give it another shot, I'm like, mm. like, fine. That's not where I'm at. I'm like, great. I watch it again. I watched this twice for uh, for the screen. Do you know what yeah, I mean? I really like, enjoyed watching it like, twice. So this is I haven't had this experience of really enjoying a film that I did not emotionally connect with in any time that I can remember. I I know what it's like to watch a movie under duress, and, and, and it, can, it can you know like that can be a case. Um, I don't feel like I did though. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Okay. So my my thing that I wanted to get into in terms yes, of like so an existential sorry. crisis was that when we reviewed Air, I watched The Last Dance. And when I watched The Last Dance, I thought a lot about Michael Jordan's philosophy of winning and what it takes to be a winner. Sure. Because I think the thing that you get, you come away with when you watch The Last Dance is that Michael Jordan is a very mean-spirited individual. (laughs) Like, but that's also what made him great. You know, like, if anyone said anything to him on court, even in passing, he took it as a personal offense and did everything in his power to ensure that that person knew that you couldn't do that to Michael Jordan. Um, you know, like, and that was how he played the game. That's how he lived his life. He was competitive. He is competitive at every level and ferociously competitive. So the existential crisis that I kind of got into, and it, it reminded me as I watched this movie, was that Jim's character is also ferociously competitive. Like, he enters the room pissed off at what he has to do in order to turn this around. And he has no qualms about yelling at people. He has no empathy. Uh, in the case of this, you know, in the case of the film, I'm not saying this as a, you know, as a real person, but he has no empathy for people's individual feelings. All he cares about is moving the ship in the direction he needs to move it. And my existential crisis was thinking is that is the way to achieve greatness. You know, he even says in here, uh, the thing he learned at Harvard is uh, in order to be great, you need to sacrifice. The bigger the, the bigger the sacrifice, the, the greater you will be. You know, that's his philosophy on life. And I started thinking about Michael Jordan in that way, and you know, because I grew up playing basketball. And it was a friend of mine, a guy by the name of Alex Kane, who's a great writer, by the way, who has a couple of books on uh, Audible as well. Um, I will uh, put a link to them uh, in, the, in the show notes. Um, but he pointed out to me, because we were talking about this, and I was like, you know, that's why Michael Jordan was great. And he goes, yeah, but maybe also think about Tim Duncan. And I was like, Tim Duncan? And he was like, yeah, Tim Duncan played for the Dallas Mavericks. Um, he, uh, did he play for the Dallas Mavericks? I, I could be wrong about that. Oh, oh wait, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Either way, he has five champion, four or five championship rings. I mean, I as, knew that. As successful as, not maybe not as successful as Michael Jordan, not as well regarded, 
but genuinely a kind human being, a genuinely likable uh, human being. And and what Alex pointed out to me was that you didn't this idea of the ferocious winner that we see in Michael Jordan or in Jim Balsley is not necessarily the only way that this needs to happen. It's, it's not the, the way that it's celebrated. It's not the only way. It's the way that we talk about. But I also think it's the way that, on average, mm. probably has more misery tied to it than joy. And I'm, yeah. I, I mean, that's that's a guess. Right. But I uh, it, maybe San Antonio people find... Spurs, by the way. Sorry. Oh, like, of not, course. Not I mean, I was gonna I was gonna correct him, everybody, <laughs> yeah. but I wanted him to come to the information on his own. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny you bring up the Harvard thing about the bigger the sacrifice, the bigger the reward. The 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 there was one moment of emotional resonance that actually did hit me. Now right. that you're sort of bringing this up, and it was when um, they're being investigated for the fraud of the of the of the stock <laughs> options, then, which, as far as I know, wasn't a huge as big a thing. Well, yeah, because we all know that that sort of white collar crime is a slap on the wrist, and it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, they all walked away very rich. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the moment when he uh, when um, Mike calls Jim in, and then calls the the investigators, and they have to, they're like, I told them you were here, and you go to the next door or whatever. Yeah, Jim smiles. It's the first real smile yeah. that he does the entire time, and I think he's like, I think he has that moment of this dude learned, this dude is sacrificing me. And like the greater the sacrifice, yeah, the greater the win. And I think I think that character had a real moment of this dude who, whether or not he liked him or not, learned from him. Yeah. And I think there's a real moment of joy there. And that was such a cool, complicated moment. It's that, beautiful, yeah, right? I yeah. really like it's it. It's played so well as well, where he because you know, again. You know, we for, see Jim. Yeah, we see Jim the entire time freaking out and yelling and screaming about vampires in Waterloo. Yeah, and in this moment, that's really the moment where his life would probably change the most in the negative that it had in years. Yeah, he just ends up smiling and going, "So they're next door then?" Yeah, or like whatever he says, because he understands that this is the game that yep. he has set up. Yep, and that this is the way the game is played, and he understands fundamentally. If it was him, he would do the same yep. thing. Yep, because you know this is the guy. When, when offered to be, well, when kind of put into the position of a hostile takeover from Palm Pilot, you know, agree, agrees to it begrudgingly, knowing that he is going to outplay this guy yeah. in every way and does. Um, yeah, I think, you know what? I was trying to find a, a sort of, um, because, because for the Mike story, you know, him checking the, black, uh, the blackberries for the white noise is, is the great ending to the story. Yeah. For for Jim, it's the smile of recognizing Mike's Mike's play as yeah. being an, a successful play, yeah, and like accepting that that is the way this is going to play out. And and I have been beat. Not only I have been beaten in this game, and it was it was by someone who played it well, and, and by I, someone he was beaten by someone who took his tactics. Yeah, exactly. And like. I think and I think that's a great story of the movie. That is a that is a I I miss that to be fair uh, as a read. But that smile is is a perfect ending for Jim. And it's so cool, too, because uh, Mike, even though he wins in that moment, uh, loses overall uh, because of the he has to do the China deal as opposed to, you know, making yeah. sure that his things are perfect. And that's such a that's such an interesting and true sort of like techie thing. Yeah. Like well, his his, his uh, whether or not I'm not talking about like Chinese manufactured goods, but like 
you do notice that if things are not made to your exact specifications, things can go wrong. And the thing he says in the beginning about like so many things we just outsourced and did whatever, and now everyone in every office has to live with this fucking level of white noise, and it's maddening to him. Yeah. And and the and to have his baby and his product do the same thing. Yeah. And drive him so insane that I mean I don't know if that moment is actually true. It doesn't even matter. Doesn't matter. Like him just going through and opening boxes and fixing the white noise problem yeah. Yeah. is like, it's it's poetry. It's really really nice. Well, this- I also like it because that your the character the engineer makes the point. He says, "Don't let this guy who played by Michael Ironside, who I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, know, yeah. Uh, Highland, shout out to Highlander too." Um, <laughs> but but you know he says, "Don't let that guy near your engineering team. He will fuck your shit up." And he does. Yeah. Like, he's the one who says we should think about moving our manufacturing to China. And, and my, uh, you know, M- Matt, is it Matt? Mike. Mike. <laughs> Mike is like, no, absolutely not. But eventually he gives into that. And it's that, you know, like, it's that sort of good enough approach that he just can't live with. Um, and it's, it's I, I think it's just a, you know, <laughs> again, another not existential crisis, but like a bigger thing, which is that... Um, I, I run a small business. I get sent a lot of books about, you know, like the, eth- uh, not the ethics, but like I, I get sent a lot of like self-help books about running businesses and things like that. You know, yeah. I hate them all. I re- sure. like, I read them and I hate them all. I, I can't stand reading them. I find them very unengaging. You know, I take interesting lessons out of them, but I think I find more interest in stories about human beings like this than I do in like, any self-help business book or anything like that. Well, yeah, know? because it's, it, I mean, business is just the interaction of human beings. Like, that's all yeah. it is. And, and I think, like, the problem that I find with a lot of self-help books or self, you know, business advice books is they're devoid of, like, humanity. You know, like, they're, they're sort of, like, really... Yeah, fun. they're treating it They're treating it like if you just enter these amount, these yeah. certain inputs into your system, then you're going to, it'll yeah, be yeah, fine exactly. and it'll work out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of the humanity of it all, here's a negative of this movie, okay. I will say. And, and it's, it's not... I want to preface and say not every movie has to have every type of character in it. Right. But women are vastly underrepresented in this movie entirely. Now, I know it's about the story about these sort of three guys, and that's fine. But the only time – it's funny. The moment when the COO comes in and yells about them, like, being kids with their dicks or whatever, (laughs) and then it just stays – Well, it it, (laughs) – so it is in a vacuum. Yeah. It cuts to the one or the one of a few female engineers sitting there being like, what the fuck does that mean for me, right, when he makes a dick joke or a dick threat? I don't know what the, the thing is. It does, except in this movie, that being the only major moment with a woman in it, and she's silent in that particular shot, it, like, it more exacerbated the fact that, like, it, 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 I guess it does what it meant to do, but it also, I think, just, it calls out the issue that the movie has wide, and then it also the movie didn't do anything about that and if they're making look if they're making changes to other characters anyway like there's just again it's it's a it's a minor gripe but i did clock it yeah. throughout and then that moment kind of put a button on it and i was like okay like yeah. i would have rather you're right great moment in a vacuum in the context of the rest of the film, I was like, I kind of wish they just didn't do that. Right. Because then it's a little less, like, it's less aware that they have a slight problem, in my opinion, in that regard. Again, you could also talk about minorities or people of color or yeah. anything like that as well. But it, 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 I don't know. It's, it, 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 is it, just, not, it, it made, it, it made you, a, 
it pointed out that it was it was Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV screen <laughs> about the problem that the movie kind of had. And like I, so, I don't know if it's the problem that the movie had. No, the as, story. The as story much as the had. story has, yeah, you know, like and as much as the reality of the situation has. Although, as we pointed out. The the line between what is reality and fiction in this movie is hard yeah. to decipher. Yeah. Um, and so if you're changing slow. if you're changing entire characters and moving their personalities between other real people, <laughs> if you wanted to, you could make fifty percent of that engineering team women. It, sure. it, it doesn't affect a goddamn <laughs> thing. Like I don't know. It does. It doesn't matter. All right. I'm just I I clocked it because the movie clocked it, yeah. and it was a weird like. Oh. <laughs> Fair noted. Fair. But. Again, I I do not want this to sound like I do not like this movie. I really liked this movie. I yeah. think people should see this movie. Uh, I think uh, it is worth your time and or money if you're renting it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, that's kind of my final thoughts on it. I really dug it. I I, I just there was a, something of, of emotional resonance that like was lost on me, and I don't think it was. It, maybe it was the time I watched it. Yeah. I don't think it was terribly maybe it was the movie's also just fault. Like you know the the sort of. Um, Hard to care about rich people problems, maybe. you know. Like maybe that was it as well. Maybe like like, like I see yeah. Because even even mm. uh, Matt Damon's character mm. like wasn't rich rich when he was doing that. Like right. he was just a guy trying to hustle. Yeah. Uh, and Tetris was also a dude kind of really poor. And this was like, yeah, they were started off poor, but then by about halfway through the movie, they were all super rich for doing maybe some skeevy things, depending <laughs> on what you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I, like I certainly. You know, the interesting thing that I thought the movie did well was that I, during the middle of it, I guess I had the opinion was like, well, just sell out. You guys have hit the, you know, like you've hit the success, successful uh, peak of your careers. Just get out and be happy, you know, live your life. But that's the reality is, is that, um, you know, for these people, this is their, it's, it's like when they see the iPhone and they can't see the forest from the trees. It's yeah. like, this is their, it, it's an offense to their existence to sell out of the business. Not that the money is like a problem. It's an offense to like, what, what else am I supposed to do? This is what I have built. It's so funny. Uh, I, was, I forget who I was talking to. Maybe it was Will, our stream overlord at EC, but we were talking about capitalism and money mm. and people were talking about like selling out. Mm. And uh, maybe we were talking about uh, businesses stopping making games or something. I don't remember. And I was like, I don't think I'm ashamed to say it, but as long as like it wouldn't hurt anybody actively, if I could, if I could sell everything I owned business wise or whatever, but also exit capitalism, like mm -hmm. make enough money where it didn't fucking matter. Right. I think I do that. <laughs> like, I mean, like, but like, again, it's a matter of like, is it not hurting people, et cetera? Or could you take care of people enough or however it goes? But like at a certain point, Number going up is only a mental illness you have. Like you, there's a certain amount of money where you won't know the difference between one number or another number on your day to day life. I think Dave Chappelle had a bit about that where he said, like, he, you know, at one point he was earning twenty million dollars for the Chappelle Show, and he was like, he went to a restaurant and everyone there was a multimillionaire, and he was like, but nobody couldn't afford the food. You know what I mean? Like, like everyone could afford. Like, it didn't matter that this person was worth a hundred million and this person was worth ten million. Everyone here can afford the food. Yeah, and and like you know, I think, I think that's true to an extent. I think the psychological barrier to getting off the rat race, getting off the wheel, is very very challenging. It all, it all depends on the person, right? I feel like I'm the kind of person where if I was offered enough money and it didn't hurt people and it, I could literally exit capitalism with that amount with that number, I would be able to find joy elsewhere. 
Uh, this is the, but the, that's a different. I, people are all different. Yeah, this is the argument of like, uh, what what would you do if you won the lottery tomorrow, kind of thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, but the difference is, it's funny because like you win the lottery and it's like a couple million dollars, and in our current economy, that's not exit capitalism no, money. Are, you know, there are. It's you know that the point is sure. What would you do if you won the lottery? Everyone says I would quit my job. I would exit the rat race. See, here's the thing: if I won. <laughs> if I won the lottery, I, I I still don't think unless it was an exorbitant amount of money. There's a difference between exiting the rat race and exiting capitalism. Right. Like exiting capitalism is you never have to think about money again for <laughs> for anything. You know, I I think that number is much lower than you think it is. I don't think it not not for me. It's not. Right, I, I th honestly think if if no I, no, but to, in order to survive not survive no 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 it's two different things <laughs> i know we're, we're getting a little esoteric here but my point is exiting capitalism <laughs> is not just surviving it's never having to think about money again despite what you want right. and that is a number that is huge i'm not talking about uh, living a meager or comfortable life I, I, like for instance if i won <laughs> if i won a couple million dollars right i would not stop my job right I might change the way I do it or hire some things out or, or or invest in my business. Yeah. But I wouldn't leave it. Right. If somehow I got, I don't know, I'm just going to make up a fucking number. Like uh, half a billion dollars. Uh, that's 500 million. That's yeah, because I have a thing. I have to. No, here's what I'm going to do. I want 999,999,999 uh, because there's no ethical billionaire. <laughs> I want to get be right under that threshold. Okay. Uh yeah. So there's I, no ethical billionaire except you one cent lace. Sure. As long as I wasn't a billionaire, I'm totally we fine. We should totally watch There Will Be Blood uh for the podcast because in There Will Be Blood, Daniel Plainview, his his entire argument is I want to make enough money to get away from these people. And at the end of the movie, he's done it. Yeah. And he is not happy, you know. Um I don't know. I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> anyway, you be in your bowling alley eating steak in the middle of the night, it'd be beating so great. over strangers that come to your door. Sure, whatever. As long as I'm bowling strikes, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> uh Sheer, last thoughts of the movie. Love it. I absolutely love the movie. I think it's great. I think it um uh works. It's amazing because it is a business movie that is completely and effortlessly dynamic, fun to watch, exciting thrilling in all the right ways uh and makes us and and makes a compelling argument for why we should make movies about businesses yeah uh which i think is great agreed this has been the only podcast about the film blackberry shahir <laughs> when you are not contemplating the number that would make you exit capitalism where can folks find you you can uh find me offering up my exit for like uh, probably a few dollars on my website at <laughs> www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are figuring out the uh, the lower limits of ethical billionaireism, where can people find you? You can find me donating $1 to charity to keep myself safe over at my website, <laughs> M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or PSN, and of course, Emperor MSK on Twitter or Matthew Kroll at Blue Sky. Okay, okay. I'm, I like Blue Sky. Okay. It's fun. Is it the same as Twitter? It's the it's, same as Twitter. It has a little less features, but a lot less bullshit. Okay. And it's just nice. Okay. I just see things that I like. It's nice. Okay. Makes me feel good. <laughs> I'm not off the Twitter wagon yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just, I, I, when I want to feel bad, I go to Twitter. When I want to feel good, I go to Blue Sky. Okay. There's nothing I, wrong I, with that. I have no desire to sign up to any more social, social networks. Well... 
That's Unless fine because I think the they closed down. Way. I think they closed down signups for now because everyone was exiting after Elon's last fucking <laughs> dumb thing when he DDoSed himself. Uh, anyway, uh, next week can we do? Can we Flash? do? Can we do Indiana Jones? I, you know, I I have offered up Indiana Jones to a few dad friends of mine, and and we've all, and I've said it in this way. I have no expectations of this movie. Me in neither. fact, I have heard that it is not good. I've heard it's not good from people I trust <laughs> and good from people that I love. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, My mom said it was excellent. Okay. Well, <laughs> and, hey, and, and, we, and, we all know, like, you listen to us on the Test of Time podcast. We all know what moms think of Harrison Ford. Also true. <laughs> uh, shout out. Yeah, go listen to our, our last Crusade episode over the Test of Time. The guys had us over there. It was great. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like, I don't know. I'm so this is the weird thing. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious about Indiana Jones mm-hmm. in a way that I am just absolutely not curious about The Flash. Well, also, you know, again, the pedigree behind Indiana Jones, uh, the franchise that is that exists right now, it's only four, five films. Sorry, we're just <laughs> ignoring Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The what and the what now? <laughs> um, but also directed by James Mangold, who directed the best ending of a series uh, to any franchise. Logan. Sure. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, that that for me... I'd be like, yeah, old, old man cinema. I'm there. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I'd like to throw that into the ring. Yeah. Um, we'll see what we actually end up doing based on time and everything. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, write, write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com if you got uh, suggestions for us to go to. Uh, we did past. No, we did uh, nine days based on a yep. suggestion. We we have not instituted our request policy again. It's now on a case by case basis. If we like you, is that it? Right? Maybe I have a couple. <laughs> I, no, I have a couple ideas. Yeah. On what we can do yeah. if we, I, I'll I'll shoot them by you when we're off there. Oh, by the way, she here. Uh, and you now own her story. I I, I he a man of his word. I have a copy of her story, which I may not open. And you know what's <laughs> funny? I spent that ninety nine cents to ensure I wouldn't be a billionaire. <laughs> there you go. Email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com and let us know what your number is you think you'd need that you could exit capitalism with. I'd be really interested <laughs> to hear what people's sort of mathematical ideas are. Anyway, until next week, we'll talk in your ear holes then. Bye, everyone. Bye. This came to you from Al Blackbeard. <laughs> You should find that sound and put it in. Just give us the disc and we'll give you your life back. What? The net. There it is. (laughs)